Hello and welcome to episode 83 of the BMcast. Not a podcast that thinks a hedge fund manager that also happens to be good at magic is going to be the right person to completely fix Wizards of the Coast by becoming a 2.5% share on the Hasbro Board of Directors, but the show about playing Magic the Gathering on a budget. I am Scott and I am joined by the selfless samurai herself, Emma. How are you doing today? Yeah, okay. It's a bit windy because we've had like, in the in the UK, we've had storms all week. Yeah. So there's been like three storms in like seven days so if you hear wind in through this recording it's because of that and there's not a lot i can do about it so you just gotta get used to it um Mm. but yeah otherwise i'm good in terms of content i'm still playing through neon dynasty content for tcg player so looking a lot at modern and pioneer because they seem to be the best fit for the set as for magic i've been picking up cards from neon dynasty uh, for cuban commander Mm. so for quintorius i picked up containment construct which is a card that we're a big fan of and the red channel land as well because it makes spirits and Mm, Quintorius yeah. is half of a spirit lord so that just seems like a free fit because it's an untapped red source sure, yeah. outside of magic and content I picked up Octopath Traveler for the Switch because it was it was half oh. price on the Nintendo eShop like, sale yeah. if you aren't familiar with it Octopath Traveler is a JRPG from the same studio that created the Bravely Default series the one that oh. was on the 3DS which I also really enjoy because it's that old school Final Fantasy which I really yeah. really enjoy so I'm about four hours in I'm hitting to that point where things start to come together. You know, when you, you're, pa- mm. you're past the tutorial, past the intro, you, you feel settled in, so you, yeah. you get really yeah. into it. I really recommend it. I wouldn't pay full price for it, which is like 50 quid, but I got it for like 25, and that just seems better, right? It came out, yeah. what, a couple of years ago now, but it's still really good. I recommend it if you want to play JRPG and you like the whole pixel art thing, because it's all pixelated mm. as well, which is really, really cool. Yeah, that's yeah. it from me. How about you? What's new with you? Yeah, I'm all right. As for content stuff uh, my article this week it's an interesting one it's about power levels in commander uh, an often debated topic and this talks a little bit more about how we can solidify them by labeling and building philosophies around them mm-hmm. so it's a little headier than my usual stuff but I think it has got an awful lot of utility, so it is worth checking out. That is now out on Card Kingdom. You can read that after the show. I was also on a couple of streams this week. So I was on Tori of the Vast stream yesterday. Uh, Sunday is when we're recording, obviously, so I was on a Saturday. Uh, I was playing with Clay B from CNC Power Hour and Hobbs Q from the Goblin Lore podcast. That was wild. Uh, honestly, yeah. absolutely wild. Like, Octavia really got to shine. Really, really got to shine. By far the best performance she's ever had. Nice. And Did Hobbs um, show off their Artist Proof Commander deck? Yes, yes. Uh, yeah, he absolutely real. goblin AP flex dripped yeah. all over me. Yeah, yeah. That man loves goblins. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, I also got to debut my new Feather Blink deck as well, which uh, works pretty well, yeah. It was able to generate a few treasures uh, repeatedly using a teleportation circle, nice. uh, which was very, very important because we all just got Armageddon. Ah, that's, that's, <laughs> yeah. that's relevant. <laughs> yeah, I was the only person left with mana, so that was cool. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I also played Artisan Commander on Mental Misplay stream on Wednesday, which was also wild. I was playing my new updated SEO and Arden deck, which mm-hmm. is now downshifted to common and uncommons only. And surprise, surprise, still kicks ass 100%. Nice. So if you want to check out either of those, both of the VODs should be available on their Twitch channels. I'll include their links in the show notes. And I also got a bunch of sweet new Kamigawa Neon Dynasty stuff from Wizards this week. I got a new commander deck. I got a bunch of boosties, set collector and draft boosties, and some awesome stickers, one of which is already on my quiver. And 
there was also this was one that I, I I didn't think I would like as much as I did, but I really did, and that was it's a physical copy of the visual novel that they made for oh, the nice. sets release. So it's it yeah, it's real nice. Like I, obviously, people listening to the podcast can't see my background here, but it is a mess. Like if you've ever seen me on webcam, it's just generally a mess. It's just crap there. But eventually. I plan to have like a background that looks nice with like shelves and like cool stuff on it, and that's definitely going on there, along with like the the Strixhaven like leather bound bookcase yeah, thing that I got. Well. They're yeah. really cool, and the scarves. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So it was a lovely gift to receive, to be honest, and I cannot wait to use some of the sweet new cards in my decks. Outside of content stuff, I'm selling Belcher. <laughs> so I know, I know, surprise I know. Pikachu. Yeah. So. <laughs> there's a long running thing like a couple of my friends are probably going to be listening to this Tom and Ian in particular Ian <laughs> as I said before not my boss but they were like don't sell it like, if you, like a couple of months ago they were like you better not sell it I was like I won't I won't I won't I love this deck it's great and now I'm selling it sorry guys uh, the reason for it is because I do still like it but it is just a little too linear for my taste I like despite what it seems I actually do like to have some interaction and stuff. So I'm selling it so that I can buy myself some Urza Sagas and get into Affinity properly because every time I get sick of a deck, I keep going back to Affinity. So why not just make it properly, you know? On top of that, I also have a number of other decks that I want to build and play using Sagas, but they're Mm. necessary cards. So, you know, felt like the right call. Magic aside, I've actually been far too busy to play my new Switch this week. (laughs) So... Nice. I have downloaded, I have downloaded Nino Kuni, um, Ooh. the from the PS3, I believe, was it? Yes, PlayStation the White Witch, yeah. Um, because I'm obsessed with anything Ghibli related, and I definitely want to try this out. But I only managed to get like the first forty minutes in so far. So once I'm finished editing this week's episode, hopefully I can sink a bit it's of time a into it. Gorgeous game, it looks yeah. great. Does indeed, for sure. If you enjoy the BM Cast and would like to support them. You can become a patron for as little as $3. Not only will you get access to all of the show notes and deck lists, but you get to listen to the new episodes a day earlier than anyone else. Visit patreon.com forward slash the BMcast to join today. There are also free ways to support them too. Just listening to the show is already great. You can follow them on their Twitter at the BMcast as well, and even DM them for a link to the Discord server. No matter your budget, we'll make sure you get your stonks on. Alright, so it is my turn this week for Card of the Week, and this one is no surprise really, knowing me. It's Burning Inquiry. So, Burning Inquiry is a single red mana for a sorcery that reads, each player draws three cards, then discards three cards at random. So, look, it's it's really, really good in the likes of Hollow One, because it actually makes that strategy viable, right? As we mentioned recently with Containment Construct as well, if you any cards you discard, you could just play them that turn. That's fine. That sounds good. It's pretty good, actually, in red-heavy commander decks. Uh, like, if you don't mind putting stuff in the graveyard, or if you have, like, Spellslinger kind of commander or whatever, you can usually get a little bit of, like, flashback value, or, like, you've got some Archaea Master to get stuff back. You can do loops using Bergy and Underworld Breach, because you can just keep flashing back the Burning Inquiry, or escaping the Burning Inquiry by exiling the three cards that you have in the graveyard that you've put there with the Burning Inquiry, which then infinitely mills everybody out. 
There's all sorts of stuff you could do with this. I particularly like it because it is one of the best pieces of disruption in Hollow One decks in general, because you could just play this on turn one, and even if you don't get a Hollow One, you just screwed your opponent's hand, yeah. most likely. There is a chance that you've made it better, but realistically, you've made it worse. It is $4 at the moment. It is getting a little pricey for what it is, but it's still under the general $5 mark that we normally have for our card of the week. So if you have any use for it, do pick it up. And with that... We're going to go into the main meat and bones of the episode. We are going to talk about Pioneer. So more and more people are getting into Pioneer now because everybody's realizing that Arena is just kind of cack and that, wait, hold on a second. This Eternal format is actually kind of affordable and really, really fun. Doesn't use wildcards either. That's also a bonus. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let's be honest. <laughs> yeah. Not not having to use wildcards, 10 out of 10. Not having to update the client every like mm. couple of days. Yeah. Also yeah. fantastic. But... The thing that I like so much about Pioneer now is that it feels like Modern did like six, seven years ago. Yeah. It feels strong. It feels defined by a couple of different cards, but it feels approachable, if that makes sense. Like at yeah. the moment in, in Modern, there's like 70 different decks and you're like, I, I have 15 sideboards last time. I don't know what to do. I've never seen this deck before. What's going on? You know, like even the last week or so, the Crack the Earth decks and stuff just showing up and oh, everything. That's a sweet like, deck wild wild right and like you have to be really invested in modern to like do well in any way whereas with pioneer if you're a half decent player and you have a half decent deck you'll do well in pioneer Mm. like a lot of the decks are quite signposty in what they are and what they do you know like you look at the mono black vampires decks and stuff you can see it's a mid-range slanted aggressive deck you can see that the the red decks they're definitely like aggro leaning on burn you can see, like, the Aura's decks are very much, like, Battlecruiser suit up the one big creature and that kind of thing. Like, you can see what you're doing. You can jump into a Pioneer League with, like, a mid-rangey kind of deck and just do fine. It's really good. But with that said, it's still very diverse. There's still yeah. a ton of different decks. Also, if you're just coming from Standard, and not necessarily Standard, like, now, but, like, stand, say you were playing, like, Standard three, four years ago, you kind of have an idea of what's powerful back then and that's kind of true mm-hmm. now when you see stuff you know like just yeah. by ascendancy like that's a deck yeah. now which is awesome you got lotus combo which yeah. is now a thing as well so there's a lot going on um and it's really really affordable yeah just it really make is make that clear it's very very yeah. affordable and you've got four challenger decks that what's he released recently mm. last, like last year you got the standard ones that are coming out soon which also make really good baseline for pioneer too so yeah you, it's like it's just so easy just to get into it and just play yeah, it really is. And to highlight this, we normally do, every so often, we do like a couple of different budget builds and brews and stuff for decks to help you get into the format. And like, we got to be honest with you, sometimes it's just like, well, here's a, a red aggro deck and here's mm-hmm. a, you know, black discard based deck or here's a white aggro deck or whatever. And like, it's usually just very sort of linear one notey kind of stuff mostly because we're normally talking about modern and up until modern horizons 2 they were kind of the ways that you could get into modern cheaply because if you wanted to do anything else you needed a good mana base or you needed expensive staples and it's really hard to do that but Mm. both in modern and pioneer and as you'll see now when we talk about it there's an awful lot you can do for very little like we're talking about like less than the price of a standard deck which is pretty good. Crazy. Emma, why don't you start us off? This this one feels very on brand for you, first of all, and mm. the price looks phenomenal, to be yes, honest. it's incredible. <laughs> so we're going to talk about Mono White Auras, which 
was a budget deck in Pioneer. When this format became a thing, it was like a $50 sort of thing. Um, if mm. you can play Orzov Auras at the time, which Ken Yukihiro created, and I think he, I think he finished in the finals of like a Pioneer PT or, or something like that, or GP, something like that. Mm-hmm. So this was like the budget, budget iteration of that. But thanks to Kamigawa Neon Dynasty, there is a couple of cards that you can add to this that just makes it so much better. And when we talk about that, we're talking about Light Paws, the Emperor's Voice, mm. which is a very messed up magic card if you read it properly. And if you haven't read it properly, read it again, just to take it all in. Because there's a lot of words, but what it does is pretty ridiculous. So for $35, you can make a really competitive, admittedly battle cruisery, but that's fine if you're coming new into the format, oh, yeah. right? Because it just allows you to focus on combat. allows you to just take in all the knowledge of what you're playing up against, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah, so $35, you just have a Bogle-style deck. So you just have loads of cheap creatures, Pile on a load of auras onto them and you turn sideways. What makes this really good is because you have Lurus as well, Lurus of the Dream Den as a companion, mm, which means yeah. you can bring back those creatures and bring back those auras, attach them to creatures and keep going. Mm. Light Paws is a very messed up card and that's what makes Mono White really, really good. Yeah. Since you can find an aura equal to, as well as less than, is a big deal. So if you big time. have a, all that glitters, you can find another all that glitters, which just seems great, right? Mm. Yeah, so Lurus provides the, the long game. He brings back your light pause, brings back your SRAM, who helps you draw cards. Yeah. It's just really, really good. It's competitive from the start. You don't need the black in these lists often, but you can put four Godless Shine in, four Bright Climb Pathways, and put yeah. a couple of four C's in the sideboard if you anticipate like a metagame that's very removal heavy and you just want to ping off some combo or ping off some like tricky removal spells. But yeah, mostly yeah. these kind of decks are just full of commons and uncommons and just powerful rare creatures and you just turn sideways. It's, it's simple enough. And that's For not sure. a bad thing. 100%. Like the linearity of this deck at first glance might deter some more enfranchised players in general, but I really think that this kind of strategy is just very good because it is hard to interact with these creatures with the level of protection that you can give them, in addition to the amount of card advantage that Light Paws and SRAM can provide. Yeah. It's absolutely wild. A couple of tweaks that were added into this, I had one little bit of influence in this. Uh, I put a Glaring Aegis like into this. the deck, which is a single white mana for an aura that enchants creature and enchanted creature gets plus one plus three but when it enters the battlefield tap target creature and opponent controls so if you play cartouche solidarity or an ethereal armor or a griff spoon or a sentinel's eyes while light pauses out you can go and tutor up any one of those other things or if you need to punch through some blockers for damage you can get the glaring aegis attach it to light pause because it has to come in attached to light pause mm. but it taps down a blocker which means that you could just sometimes swing through for lethal and your opponent isn't expecting it cool little toolboxy kind of things like that is really really good with light pause it's a really really neat kind of a little interaction that you can do with it but i really love this deck it's very very sweet now i have been tweaking around with a deck over the last couple of weeks ever since i saw one or two of the cards from neon dynasty this is rakdos game objects okay so it is another lurus deck surprise surprise we're running a whole four creatures in the form of voldar and epicure the red equivalent of thraven inspector the best card of magic thraven inspector yes I'm going to be honest, I was very high on Voldar and Epicure in general, yeah. but seeing how often it's showing up now, 
is frankly wild. It's showing up in modern. It's showing up in pauper burn. It's showing up all over the place. Blood tokens are good. Mm. Blood really tokens good. are good. And and a one drop that ETBs and pings people is also very good. Yeah. So aside from the Voldar and Epicure, the whole point of this deck is to grind out opponents and then finish them with direct damage. Mm. Right. So you have cards like Oni Cult Anvil, the two drop artifact where whenever one or more artifacts you control leaves the battlefield during your turn, you make a 1-1 colorless construct artifact creature token. It only happens once a turn. Or you can tap and sack an artifact to have it deal one damage to each opponent and you gain one life. Mm. So you play with the likes of Blood Fountains or Experimental Synthesizers or Terrarians. You have a bunch of just random game objects that you can then sacrifice to Oni Cult Anvil in order to drain... And some of those things give you value, like Terrarian draws you a card, or Experimental Synthesizer Impulse draws a card. That kind of thing. And you want to sort of grind out using this. You have a bunch of removal in the form of Fatal Push, because it's very easy to turn on Revolt. You have Voltage Surge, which is another way to sacrifice artifacts in order to gain value. And then you have Shrapnel Blast. You sacrifice an artifact, deal five damage. So you've got four shrapnel blasts. You have the four Oni Cult Anvils in order to drain out a little bit. You have the Voldaren Epicures come in and ping as well. But you also have, and I really like this one, Dragon Spark Reactor. I was saying this, I was like, this card's yeah. sweet. <laughs> From Neon Dynasty, two mana for an artifact. I skimmed over this on previous season, I gotta say. When Dragon Spark Reactor or another artifact enters the battlefield under your control, you put a charge counter on it. And you can pay four and sacrifice Dragon Spark Reactor to deal damage equal to the number of charge counters on it to target player and that much damage to up to one target creature. So this can be used as removal in addition. It's basically Searing Blaze, sort of. It's fantastic. Like, with the amount of artifacts that are just randomly entering the battlefield, it's it's absurd. If you have an Oni Cult Anvil out and a Dragon Spark Reactor and you play, say, Terrarian, you put a counter on it. You can then sack it to the only cold anvil, get a construct, which puts another counter on the Dragon Spark Reactor, and yeah. you've drawn a card, and you've drained them for one, and you have made that body in the first place. So, like, there are so many tiny little synergies here, and the fact that you're sacrificing a bunch of these things, Lurus of the Dream Den can just get them back. It's absurd. It is absolutely absurd how much grind potential this has. I think this is probably the deck I'm most excited about. If I had to pick a deck off this list, I would probably <laughs> go with this one. But, Lots you know, of game actions. Yeah, ton of just <laughs> silly game actions. Yeah. Um, so next up is another one that is pretty close to my heart, and this is uh, Mono mm. Blue Spirits. Oh, yes. So the list we've found is from a Pioneer preliminary that happened, what, last late last month? Mm-hmm. And someone someone went free one with a $75 list, essentially. Um, so yeah. the list is very similar to the um, Mono Blue Tempo from Standard, Burchett Blue. It has that kind of vibe to it. So if you love that kind of deck, you'd love Mono Blue Spirits in Pioneer. So it's just full of cheap one mana and two mana spirits. Your one mana ones often being your disruption. So Mausoleum Wonder is good at countering mm. spells. You've got stuff like um, Rattle Chains to give them Hexproof if they're trying to remove them. You've got Supreme Phantom that makes them bigger. Um, you've got a one-off Spectral Adversary, which I quite like. And then you've got some cheap sort of counter spells in the deck. So you've got stuff like mm. Miscast, you've got Spell Pitch, you've got Lofty Denial, just so it, it allows you to be mana efficient, so you can curve out with these, these one-two spirits, but you always have like a mana or two open up anyway, so you can just counter yeah. whatever they're doing. Um, you can also make a case for Geisite Stare from Crimson Vow, which is the one, mm. which is the sure. mana leak for spirits. 
um, and it discounts mm. if you have an enchantment or spirit in play. And you also play Curious Obsession in this deck as well as a way just to mm. refill your hand and push through damage. So maybe yeah. you can add some of them in there if you can't find like spell pieces or whatever. Yeah. But overall, it's it's a pretty tempo-y sort of... You can be really aggressive with the with the deck if you choose to. But yeah, it, it's, it's a good one. I, I really like these style of decks. It might as well like Bad Spirits way back when, and I love Bad Spirits, so... Yeah. I think my favourite improvement on this over the Mono Blue Tempo list in Standard is that you now have far more things to do with your mana when you yeah. are short on cards because sometimes you just don't have curious obsession so you have spectral sailor which was a part of it at one point in standard but you have ascendant spirit which allows you to sink the mana in in order to grow it and make it bigger and then eventually it becomes another creature with the curious obsession text on it in addition to that with ascendant spirit you need to use snow mana for that so there's snow covered islands and when you're running snow covered islands there's faceless haven in the mana base as well which means that you have more threats that are resilient and resistant to the likes of board wipes and stuff so there's just more stuff you can do which Mm -hmm. was always the problem like you always tried to run lower land count in the standard version and hopefully just you know draw with the curious obsession and just keep the train going and if you ran out you were just kind of borked whereas here if you draw a spectral sailor you could just draw a couple of cards off that over a course of a couple of turns and get back in the game or get the last few points of damage in with the face of saving. I really like that about this deck. You also have a a one-off lantern bearer that even with disturbed that's something to do with Mm. your mana later on as well uh, I know yeah. it's not exciting compared to like Face and Havens and stuff and Spectral, uh, Ascendant Spirits, sorry, but it's still something to do with that mana when you're, you know, you're a bit light on, mm. light on things to do. For sure. It's so sweet. I love yeah. this deck. I love these style of decks. I am biased. Yeah. <laughs> now, I have an interesting one that I found a build of this recently and I tweaked it a little bit to make it more affordable. This is a mono white artifacts deck. Mm-hmm. So this issues the likes of. In Soul Artifact and the disruption package with that, like the yeah. stubborn denials and that kind of thing. And it just goes more aggressive, right? So it wants to use stuff like Patchwork Automaton, which is another card that completely skipped over me during previous season. It's too generic for a 1-1 with Ward 2 that reads, whenever you cast an artifact spell, you put a plus one, plus one counter on it. Yeah, so I did it not just becomes, know this card either until now. Right? <laughs> right? It just... It's, it's really powerful. Like, yeah. I think people skimmed over because they but were like, oh, two. it's a two-mana 1-1, one, one, whatever. But yeah, <laughs> exactly. So you want to use stuff like Patrick Automaton, All the Glitters, and Michiko's Reign of Truth, which is proving to be very, very good, both in yeah. Pioneer and Modern. You basically just want to put out really cheap threats and then make them enormous yeah. and make them everyone else's problem. And that's fantastic. I love that kind of deck myself because you focus a little less on trying to slow them down and you focus a little more on trying to speed yourself up and the protection on the patchwork automaton in addition to the protection on the likes of stone cold serpent that's pretty big that is is pretty pretty big you also have our favorite card ingenious smith as well i'm a huge fan of ingenious smith huge fan (laughs) i'm playing that in affinity at the moment and it's it's basically a guaranteed hit every single time it feels so good but Yes, it doesn't look like it would be able to grind all that well, but with the likes of Ingenious Smith, it really can. Mm. And surprise, surprise, it is another Luris deck. And even though it's a Luris deck, it's still under $100. So yeah. Luris is already cheap now, like $5, $6, because of yeah. the Pioneer Challenger decks, yeah. um, which is, is kind of nice. Even though it's probably going to get banned in Modern at some point, but we don't talk about that. So. 
We'll see. <laughs> uh, next up, we have one that's on a bit more on the expensive side compared to what we've talked about in the previous decks. So we've got mm. Mono White Aggro, which is coming about $135, but it's pretty much kitted out from what mm, I can tell. Yeah. Like, you don't need to upgrade this much. Um, so think of it as death and taxes, but with more like aggressive edge. So you, now you've got Fadio, Guardian of Fraven, that's now Pioneer Legal, which is great, mm. by the way. You can really slant this into like an aggressive taxes style strategy. So you have stuff like Containment Priest, you know, to stop anything coming back, you know, unfairly. You've got Skyclave Apparition. And one thing I love about this deck, it's got Eldrazi Displacer, which was a really great standard yeah. card way back when. You know, just flickering your Fortnite series and whatnot. Whereas in this, you're using it to flicker Skyclave Apparitions, which is also another great white card mm. that you just want to keep removing threats and keeping the ball clear. This is how you do it. For sure. You also have some stuff from Neon Dynasty squeezing in here as well. You've got Iganjo, the, the white channel land, just to kill an mm. attacking creature. You also have Lion Sash, which is looking to be one of the best cards in the set for like Pioneer and Modern. It's a white scavenging ooze. It's great. And, you know, it's two mana as well. And then you've got a little bit of removal, but obviously we're looking at our removal on creatures because yeah. we're one to two for one our opponents. So you've got a couple of fateful absences. You are leaning on the Skyclave Apparitions to do the damage here. Um, mm. But yeah, it's just grindy. It can be aggressive. You can just loot people with Eldrazi displacers. It's, it's great. And then you have yeah. stuff like Archon of Emeria as well. That just slows the opponent down. You've got Spirit of the Labyrinth that stops people co- comboing off. It's, it's There's a lot going on here. It's like your game ones are going to be so good because you just have a lot of answers main board. Yeah, it feels as if this kind of deck has been waiting for one or two things in order to become a real thing in Pioneer. Yeah. And now it actually feels like... Like, I know we have it listed as, like, Mono White Aggro, but it really does just feel like a Taxes deck. Like, you've so much Graveyard hate. You've likes of Containment Priest, like you said, and Thalia and stuff. I think I think Thalia was a huge part of this. Yeah, I'm very happy that Thalia is in yeah. Pioneer. Because it, it seems a fair introduction, like, a fair card to mm-hmm. put into the format. It's not too warping. Yeah. It keeps stuff like Lotus Combo at bay as well, which is kind of nice. You know, those sort of spell-heavy decks, which yeah. arguably were an issue, but I think Fardy does a lot of work right now. So, Yeah, yeah. This is this is a really good, really good deck. It if just I, needs A for Vile. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> if, I had to, if I had to pick a deck out of all the ones here where I feel like I would stand the greatest chance of winning, I would probably take this one. Yeah, same. It's just a lot of my good main board answers that are just threats as well, which is what you want in taxes decks or taxes aggressive decks. Yeah. And now I've got one more. This, <laughs> this is, is this. This is the same price as your mono white aggro, and it's hundred thirty five dollars. But I know that people last week uh, we we got some feedback on our stuff last week, and when I was talking about the Parhelion Reanimator Rotting Regisaur Mad Brew deck, that people were saying that they really liked. You know, when we were talking about wild builds and when we were really getting into it and all this mad stuff. So I I tried to, like, recreate that to some degree here. I have a blue-black control deck, okay? Doesn't sound all that wild and exciting, but (laughs) it is a singleton deck that uses Lutri as the companion. Because, first of all, hashtag free Lutri. Feel free to spam that on Twitter. At Watsy staff. Don't actually. Don't actually. I'm just joking. (laughs) Yeah, you might have watched my company. (laughs) Um, yeah, don't actually do that. Do it at the rules committee. No, don't do that either. I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> I'm joking. Don't spam free Lutri at anybody. But to be honest, it, it seems like a gimmick, right? It seems like it's a gimmick. It's like, oh, yeah, you have a singleton deck in a competitive format where you can play play sets or whatever. Aha, uh-huh, very funny. Uh, 
I, I honestly think this kind of deck has legs though because mm. similar to the mono white aggro where you're you're now reaching a point where you're getting enough of the same kind of effect that it's starting to become a thing that here you have so many good choices to go into a control deck like card draw or removal or permission spells or whatever that it's kind of free real estate to just add Lutri at this point because yep. all of the removal spells kind of do the same thing all of the counter spells kind of do the same thing same with the card draw same with the win conditions it's just pretty good overall so you don't really lose all that much at, if anything to be honest i just i just like the idea of giving this to someone who just just plays commander but they're like hey i want to play like pioneer i want to make up numbers for an fnm or something you just give them this <laughs> It's just like I, a, it's a singleton yeah. deck. It essentially has a commander because it's a companion, and it's just like that overlap is pretty amusing. Not not to mention it would be quite fun yeah. to play as well. It's a good way yeah. to get them in the format. <laughs> yeah, personally, I probably wouldn't hand this to a brand new person to the format, mostly because like you'd probably also have to hand them a deck list and be like, refer to this constantly because yeah, you've no idea. Sure. <laughs> the deck is so hard to memorize, but. There's just so much here. There's so much going on. Like, the win conditions that you have in here, Nezahal Primal Tide, Holebreaker mm. Horror, Torrential Gearhulk, and then you have a Fey of Wishes that you can use to go and get, like, an Enter the God Eternals or something ridiculous, or an Ugin the Spirit memory. Dragon if you have one, but it's quite expensive, you know? Yes, you can do the whole Commit to Memory thing with your Gearhulk. Love doing that. Absolutely so miss doing that from standard, <laughs> yeah. Um but like your removal is fantastic like you've got Hero's Downfall you have the new March of the Wretched Sorrow your Fatal Push Blood you Chief's Burst is great Blood Chief's Thirst well. yeah your Sweepers are great in the form of Extinction Event and Cry the Carnarium and that kind of thing there's just everything that is in this deck is just a good card like yeah. you would see you wouldn't question its existence in a deck elsewhere like you'd just be like oh well, that's just a good card that's fine you know and I think that's what makes it so cool. You know, you can you can adapt based on what you draw as well as what your opponent is playing. And I, I really yeah. like that myself. This is the kind of deck that would be great to play if you want a quirky deck, but you also want to win. Yeah. This is what I would go for. I think this is the kind of deck, if I was to play against it, I'd be like, man, this is great. And this is a good example of why Pioneer is so good. Because you can yeah. make stuff like this and it will do well. Yeah. The innovations yeah. there. You're rewarded for being creative, which is really, really good. Which where modern feels a bit samey, a bit mopey at times, because you just it's mm. modern horizons block constructed, let's be honest. Whereas a pioneer, you've got a load of new sets coming in, or you can try anything really. So Yeah. That's it. So they are six hopefully interesting off the wall ish kind of builds if you want to check out the full deck lists you can hop on over to our patreon we have the 75 of each of them listed in our show notes and if you want to chat to us about them or give us your thoughts on them you can jump into our discord server which you can find through our twitter and that is it for the pioneer brews so moving on now to the end of the show we have some q a i assume Yes, we do. We have a flurry of questions this week, all from the BMCast Ooh. Discord as well. Um, so we have one from previous guest, Angelo Guerrero, the Jess guy. Mm. Uh, they ask, would you rather be a ninja or a samurai and why? I'm going with the ninja and because I would prefer to fight smart rather than hard, S- I think. I- yeah. I'm definitely a work smarter, not harder person. So ninja, definitely. Mm. And because ninjas are cooler than samurais, I think. But It depends on what you're going for, I guess. You know, like... Samurai do have the whole, like, a greater sense of sort of bravado about them and that kind yes. of thing. And, you know, if that's your bag, that's cool. Uh, it's not mine. Same. 
Um, another one from the Joe Cheney is on, we've got a lot of questions <laughs> like this do you prefer ninjas or pirates and they preface this question with yes this is a Naruto versus One Piece question and I've watched neither of those shows so I'm just going to go with ninjas Again. so I'm going to be dishonourable to the weebs when I tell them that I haven't watched either Naruto or One Piece yet Same. rip uh, now I watched like three episodes of Naruto and I was like, I'm not in the mood for shonen anime right now. So like, maybe that was bad timing. But my issue with those is just so much filler. There's so much to get through. I'm just like... Yes, actually, if anyone's listening, if you can uh, send a message over to uh, me on Twitter at Savantir, if you have a watch list where I can skip the filler episodes of all these shows and like cut it down to maybe like 200 episodes or whatever it is, that would be great. But sorry, I'm getting away from the question here. <laughs> uh, what's weird, this is this is weird, right? Ninjas and Pirates, this was a thing among friend groups that I was in uh, years ago when I was like 17 or 18. Like everyone was an, either ninjas or pirates. I don't know why this is a thing again now, but then I was pirate. And <laughs> to be honest, I'd probably still be pirate. Okay. I think. Day ninja. We've got another one after this, so... Okay, go on. <laughs> so Zach LW says, Ninjas or Mech Pilot? My answer is Mech Pilots because oh. I watched a lot of 90s mech animes and you can't take that away from me, so here I am. So I'm probably going to have to go for Mech Pilot as well, only because the thing that got me into anime in the first place was Tango Top and Gurren Lagann, so... Yeah, Gurren Lagann's great. I'm probably just going to have to go with that, but oh, that's, that's tough. That's, that's tough. tough. It is tough. Mm-hmm. And then Joe Cheney has another question, uh, and they say, with mm-hmm. the ninja and samurai buff effects also affecting other creature types, such as rogues and warriors respectively, would you like to see Wizards of the Coast implement a, a catch-all term for groupings in the future? Like, you know, catch-all terms for tribes? I'm not too sure, yeah. to be honest, because it's, it's a bit weird when you have, like, cavern assault and you name a type. It's like, does that come into that? Or I mean, it keeps it cleaner on the text box, is, I think, what they're trying to get here. Yeah, to be honest, I'm I'm all for grouping a couple of somewhat similar things together because, first of all, it gets rid of those stupid freaking posts on Twitter being like, why isn't this a rogue or why isn't this a bard or whatever? And yes, I know I've done that before. Like, I'm, I'm calling myself out here. But... I, what I also like as well is that, particularly for Commander, people tend to build like, oh, rogues decks or whatever, you know, yeah. and then they don't include other cards that might work really, really well with it, specifically because they're not rogues. But if you're able to build like a, you know, like stealth class or something, whatever, whatever. Yeah. I'm I'm not a naming person, <laughs> but like if there was a, if there was an umbrella term for for like rogues and ninjas and make it you know, I don't know acrobats or whatever. Yeah, that, I I feel like it would give more depth and texture to those kind of decks and not just make them extremely one note. Yeah, I think I can see it happening when the Lord of the Rings um, product comes out and they couple up like hobbits and halflings together. Yeah. or kick-ins together like that because they are essentially the same thing it's just different names different mm. flavours right I can see it yeah. happening in that case I think possibly yeah so that diff asks how do you feel about the future of Pioneer and Modern af- after having the chance to play around with Neon Dynasty for a bit I think we're both pretty high on Extremely Neon Dynasty high. for Pioneer especially and there's a lot of good stuff happening in Modern as well like you've got the Channel Land you've got Lion Sash that come immediately come to mind I don't know if I've stressed this enough yet, but there are like seven different affinity builds that I'm really hyped about right now. 
I actually have no idea which one I want to ultimately go for and might have mm. to build them all because they look so good and they're so fun. I can't stress enough how many good artifacts have come from this set and I'm so excited about Modern again. <laughs> for the first time in like three months, I'm so hyped. Sorry, I just had to throw that in nah, there. Sorry. I, I Sorry just want to play diff. in Soul in Pioneer. <laughs> I just want to play Blue Eye in Soul because that just seems so much fun. I do not blame you. It's great. Then uh, the mage asks, mechanically speaking, do you think Neon Dynasty is too complex or is it just right? Now, I suppose it depends in the context. It is the wordiest magic set. Yeah, but I, I don't give I don't give two I don't give a flying monkeys. I'm trying not to swear here. <laughs> okay, I don't care how wordy it is as long as it's good. Yeah, I personally think that's such a paper boomer thing to do to go and like you know yeah. look like who was it Frank Carson. Ah. Wet, like spent hours and sure like yes all great 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 job Frank Carson doing all sorts of good work but honestly it this feels like a pointless work to take mm. a shot at Watsy for like no reason it's kind of really really dumb and I hate it but like it, it, it my problem is slight tangent my problem is that it was the way in which it was presented it was like this is actually the wordiest and like most complex and where the kind of thing and that made me not really like it. If it was like, here's some interesting information mm. uh, and so on. But the way it was slanted just made it seem like, let's try and find a way to take a shot at Watsy for this set because we can't find any other way to take a shot at Watsy for this set because it's all real good. Mm. <laughs> I, I don't know. But sorry, complexity wise, I think for enfranchised players or for players that have even just been in for a little bit, this is an incredible set. Yeah, it is so, 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 so good. For getting new players in, it is a little harder to get new players in, but I think the way in which they've presented this makes up for that. Yeah. I think if players are seeing this and they're like, this whole like utopian cyberpunky kind of world is like pulling me in. Hmm. Like if that's pulling you in and with all of the stuff they've done, like promotional wise and everything... I honestly think that you would you would just deal with the fact that it's a little bit difficult yeah. to get into and just go with it, I mm. think. So I think it's possibly slightly too complex for like brand new players, but I, I don't agree. think that's gonna stop them at this point. Oh no. Like you pick yeah. you pick up that stuff anyway. Um when I played at the pre release, I admit it was a little complicated just because there's a lot of stuff that's going on, there's a lot of moving pieces. Mm-hmm. It is very game action-y because there's lots yeah. of artifacts and art, well, all the artifacts do stuff. Mm. But you pick it up eventually and I think if I was to introduce a new player to Magic, I wouldn't suggest they play with this first. I would suggest like Strixhaven or something just because mm-hmm. that's very black and white, isn't it? Because you have five colleges, you do this and then you can focus on the actual playing of the game rather mm-hmm. than all these intricacies and you can build up to it. But otherwise, no, I really enjoy it. It's, it takes the enfranchised player box for me. It's just mm-hmm. complicated enough for me to appreciate it. Yeah. So Bo Schwartz asks, um, how would you introduce someone to Magic? Uh, limited, Standard X, how? I normally go with Limited, personally. I am of the opposite school of thought in that yeah. I think Limited is not good because if I was shown Limited... I would not be playing Magic now. I would have been like, screw this. This sucks. Like, because the thing of like, sit down, here's how to play, build a deck. I'm like, what is a deck? Like, what Mm. what is that? I don't understand. Whereas a friend of mine like made a couple of decks himself and it was just like, it was like 10 quids worth of Mm. stuff, right? And it was just like four or five little like draft chaff decks that he spent 20 minutes throwing together and was like, Mm. here you go. Here's how to play. I think that is something if you want to get someone into magic and want to like increase the likelihood of them a getting it and b staying with it make them a little deck yourself 
make them a couple of little decks to try out. Also, we'll say the free intro decks that what's was the coast provide to uh, local game stores are also very good. The thirty card ones because you just put you get two of them and you put them together and then you have a sixty card deck and that's also a really good way for people just to get into Magic. They're like standard legal, but they're just you know. Are they still going? Because um, I thought they got rid of them and just directed people towards Arena. Unfortunately. Perhaps, but I I know my LGS still has buck tons of them. So whenever someone wants to play, I'm just like, yeah, just just go. There's four boxes. We'll just mash up some decks and just play. What's your favorite color? Let's go. Kind of thing. That's what I normally go with. So Doc Lobster Mm -hmm. asks, Scott, were you seeing Electric Six as my synthesizer when playing the synthesizer? Oh, experimental synthesizer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, probably. Uh, fun fun fact, uh, Electric Six is the band that I think I've seen the most. They're great. Because they come over here every single year. I think I've seen them like six times, maybe seven times. They release that album every year, don't they? Pretty much, yeah. And what happens is they come over, they play in the academy here in Dublin City Centre, and they go like around the corner and hang out in the bar afterwards and like you just go over and like have drinks with them like they're just real chill when we when i grew up there was a lot of local bands in the area and stuff and one of the main bands in the area played a bunch of electric six songs or whatever and one of the Mm -hmm. most famous ones was gay bar yeah and when they played it live the entire band just took off their tops and like everybody in the crowd (laughs) took off their tops and it was like very homoerotic yeah and uh it was a blast it was great fun and yeah, it was just, like, for some reason, Electric Six just sort of permeated my entire, like, teenager, early adult Great music, stuff. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's really absolutely. Good. It's just interesting that that was, uh, that was brought up there, because I know Doc <laughs> Lobster from, they, they used to play down the war chest sometimes, yeah. and I don't know if we, t- I can't remember if we talked about Electric Six before. Uh, we must have, if this has been brought up, unless, <laughs> unless he was just assuming that I knew them because I like music stuff. I don't know. Who knows? But the answer is yes. I will do that for you, Doc Lobster. <laughs> yeah. I will do that for you. Um, we have another question from that Diff on the on the Discord, and they ask: Say you have the ability to play any deck from a given tournament. Um, how do you go about making the meta call for the event, especially for like PTs and GPs and stuff? This is a weird conversation because we don't really have those at the moment, and I'm not sure how I'd approach it yeah. now. <laughs> as much as I well, would love to, but they're not really a thing here, unfortunately, because we don't have SG cons and the like. Yeah. So. I just play with what I'm most comfortable with and the thing I'm going to enjoy because if I enjoy it, it means I'm more likely to win with it because I'm more mentally invested. Generally speaking, yeah, yeah. What I might also do is I might go for something that people are less likely to know thoroughly. Yeah. Um, Like, for example, up until recently, Belcher was a great call for that because a lot of people didn't really know how to deal with it. I had people bringing in artifact removal and I'm like... I'm getting seven mana and activating it. It doesn't matter if you blow it yeah, up. Yeah, it happened you're gonna when, die, I used, you know? when I used to play Load of Living M, people would bring Grafdigger's Cage and it's like, yeah, just so you know, that does not work. Yeah. I, just, I, I get yeah. where you're coming from, but it doesn't work the way you think it does, mm-hmm. sort of thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so I'll, I'll, t- I'll try to go for the least known deck out of the selection of decks that I would be comfortable with. Yeah, I if think that makes if, sense. if I was to go into like a modern event blind, like a big tournament or GP, I'd play something just like fun but competitive. So like the creativity decks are a really good example because I think mm. they're really good. People don't respect them and it also just looks a lot of fun to play at the yeah. same time. It ticks all those boxes sort of thing. And people don't seem quite prepared to how to deal with it as well. So you got that advantage too. Yeah. And that would be my one. And yeah. then lastly, we've got a question from Mickey. 
and they ask in relation to the tournaments. Hopefully in the near future, when large tournaments are held in person and we can attend, what do you plan to bring for snacks and meals? Ooh. We had this conversation before, I believe. Mm, and I can't remember what I said. Um, so <laughs> what I tend to do, massive bottle of water, fill it up oh, yeah. as much as possible. Um, I like to take stuff like nuts and bananas and stuff that have lots of fat and high energy just to keep me focused throughout the day. I would often have like a biggish breakfast because that's probably the only meal I'm going to have during the day if I'm playing, like I say, an eight round event. Mm. And I would just have stuff like protein bars, energy bars, just like nuts, bananas, stuff like that, just to keep me focused um, is what I found to be really good for Mm. me. Uh, I might have a coffee like halfway through just to keep me focused, but most of the time it would just be water. Yeah, I mean, I would definitely, definitely need uh, caffeine in order to start. (laughs) Same. I'll have a coffee with breakfast. That's just a ritual for me. (laughs) I would probably have to get a coffee with like a lunch and that kind of thing. I like the problem is I I can't eat wheat. So I tend to be limited by options when it comes to like, well, first of all, going anywhere and getting food, but also uh, snacks and stuff as well. So like, I think I would start to lean more towards like, you know, bringing some like, you know, trail mixy kind of thing or whatever. or Yeah, those kind of things. And you don't even have to season them because you can get all the salt you need from your opponents. So, Thank you for listening to us here at the BMCast and a special thanks to our patrons. However, we've had more patrons join recently that could fit into the usual outro, so I've got to speed this up a little bit. At the cheering fanatics here we have Tom Telford, Anthony Burchett, Christopher McCarthy, Edward Whitney, Evil Vanilla Glaze, Ian Holland, Jeff Eaton, Jonas Kong, Kilgore Trout 503, Matthew O'Neill, Max Makes Magic, MF Peaches, Mini Maya, Morgan Roberts, Munsu Light, Nicholas Martin, Ozan Kaplaner, Scott Hanch, The Jess Guy, The Joe Cheney, Zachary Morrow and Tim Newman. And at the stunts here we have a nice planeswalker, Alex Gibson, Bo Schwartz Madsen, Brian A. Madden, Coffee, Everett Brogan, Nurblin, Mickey Paris, Scott Creech, Seamus MC, Simon Grip, Jamie Coyle, and Clyde Anderson. Thank you all for helping to keep this podcast on the air. We can't thank you enough. If you want to support us and add your name to this list of lovely and wonderful people, head on over to patreon.com forward slash the BMcast. If you have any questions, comments, or sweet brews, you can email us at budgetmagicast at gmail.com or message us on Twitter at BMcast. We'll be back next week to give you even more bang for your buck.